Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store. I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes, the PR, comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hi Harriet, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Enjoying a bit of summertime, patchy sun, but we can cope with that because the Olympics is on, so it's exciting. So we're starting off this episode talking about the four-day week, which sounds great but I guess from my perspective I've worked in a couple of roles where I've been part-time or done like the four day week or four and a half days in four and other contracts where it's kind of like as many hours squidged down to give you a tiny bit of flexibility or whatever and I guess the flip side of it sounding awesome is the reality is you're just trying to cram more hours into less days so you're kind of maxed out when you are working or doing it in the evenings what do you think? It's difficult because I know that Iceland have tried this and it's different with them And I don't mean to sound like I'm being a snob, but I think it is different when you do shift work because you're there for a certain number of hours, you do the job and you go away. Whereas when you're a knowledge worker, if you think about it in terms of PR and comms, you're on call. So you're going to be on call if you're on that weekend, you're on call for three days rather than just the two, which is the weekend. And then the other thing is that also there's some things that happen in PR and comms that you will need to work the weekend. You've got things like launches or activations, you've got press nights or all those other things around the edges and I don't know whether the commercial side of our industry plus the other side of our industry which is like the public sector crisis ETC would allow for us to do four days because we also have to make up somehow those other days we will end up compensating because maybe our clients the economy and everything else is on a five-day week and then we've chosen to be on a four-day week and I'm just thinking about for example public sector would we be able to sufficiently provide PR and comm support on four days when actually our business is actually seven days a week or as much as I do want to work four days I'm just thinking of it logistically if it can be possible. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I was looking at the study. It was around from 2015 to 2019, about 2,500 workers, so about 1% of the population there, basically paid the same amount of money, but working hours that were more like four days a week. So when you look into it, it's not like cutting it off into necessarily like four specific days. It's maybe just rather than doing like 42 hours, it's more like 34, 35, whatever, trying to add a bit more just flexibility around that. And I know Spain are now looking at something, so New Zealand as well. And I I just think it's interesting because what I read from it was like, you know, public sector kind of ripe for maybe doing something like this. But I think actually if your whole organisation has that approach, whereby you might be in every day, but some days it's slightly less than others and you have a, a different kind of contract. I think that's probably the more realistic approach. You can kind of scale it somehow. Like I agree. I think, you know, certain disciplines you feel like you're in all the time but you know there was a in may a report commissioned by the four-day week campaign from platform london suggesting shorter hours could also cut the uk's carbon footprint and i think what the pandemic's done is really made people think like do i need to be commuting to that office every single day because you know when you think about the time wasted in a car you essentially get like half a day back by being more productive having some work time so i, I think now we're kind of coming out of 
certain lockdown restrictions it's a really good time to as organizations to look at you know the hybrid stuff but also like would this work for you would it be something you can offer because I think that whole idea about being flexible now is something that more organizations are embracing I also do want I, I like the fact that people will still be paid the same money because I do worry if you say to people it's a four-day work week and you're paying less money especially people who really need that extra money or people who already even do things like picking up an extra shift picking up extra work on the side just to make ends meet so I do a do worry about that as well and I think that needs to be looked at to make sure that people and employees are protected but then I also do have concerns about people's well-being and the boundaries because even now where most people are supposed to do I don't know nine to five or eight to six or whatever it is people working longer hours because the lines have been blurred between work and home I think it may be really employers looking at whether the flexible working that they're planning to do now that the pandemic is in a much stable place and I say that in quotes caveating it a lot but whether employers are going to think okay so you can work from 11 till 7 if you're working at home so that you can sort of do what you need to do in the morning and I think that's the approach that more people need to take so that people don't feel the pressure of having to be at the desk at nine o'clock 100% <laughs> So for our five minutes this week, I really have been thinking about this a lot, which is like the fan bases of different people and also celebrities. And some of them are like cults. It's, it's quite scary. So I remember telling my brother, you remember when K-pop bought out tickets for Donald Trump's rally online? And I was talking to my brother about it and he was like, well, K-pop's become like this force hasn't it maybe it needs to be stopped so what are your thoughts on the fandoms we're not going to mention a certain one that that's that is all for begins with b yeah so it came to my attention on like so i do this weekly youth marketing newsletter and there were two articles that kind of stood out to me so one was around china like a watchdog in china trying to kind of grapple about with the power of these kind of so-called fandom bases and it stemmed from it was a reality tv talent show and to vote for your favorite contestant you had to buy a bottle of milk and get a qr code from the milk and use that to vote for your contestant and because of like the loyalty of all these kind of teen fans for their favorite talent show contestant all this video footage of gallons of milk being kind of thrown away and basically the government kind of stepped in and said like we don't really want this we don't rate it we're really concerned about like the power of these kind of fan bases and the other article that stood out to me was around it was actually about k-pop and bts fans in particular because they were sort of saying that the music industry kind of is founded on fandoms and young people kind of loving their music and being incredibly loyal they're saying like bts are very good at always thanking their fans and being like loving them and kind of talking about them and supporting them and and defending them I guess because she said basically she argued that a lot of music groups kind of try and grow out of it and want to kind of get young men or like older men to be like fans that's where they're seen as kind of credible and they kind of dismiss kind of like hysterical teen fans but there is something about this kind of like the power of like these fan groups that I think is really interesting and I think like more broadly like young people are getting more vocal and for causes and issues and and disrupting I guess kind of tradition stuff but I think from an organisation perspective when you've got groups Groups of fans it's a really challenging one like we've seen in football like the good and the bad of like how to manage that and I think it's, it's a really interesting one yeah so Taylor Swift has got hers the Swifties and I guess they're not they're not they're all right they're not scary as the beehive and I think 
what I struggle with, so with the Beehive, I think even Beyonce can't tell them anything and they're supposed to be her fans, so that gets quite scary. But I also do worry about sometimes on social media with Pylon, if you've got loyal fans and you have, I don't know, 50,000 followers or you're really popular on social media and you put something on there, maybe someone's trolled you, you literally have the power to get your fans to then go and attack that person. And I think there also needs to be a responsibility on the individual when they're whipping up all their followers and all their fans and all that kind of thing against someone who said something really horrible. And I know online trolling is really, really bad and, you know, it needs to be stopped. But I also do have concerns. The um, the Beehive are really, really sort of difficult to manage sometimes and I think as well as people who have huge followings I think some of them are quite mindful of how much their fans can whip up things because sometimes when they are posting some of the trolling or some of the abuse that they get they black out the names so that the the fans can't see and you also see in the comment section like if someone says something bad about the person or the celebrity or the instagram whatever it is you see there's a lot of people reply and come to their defense which is good but i think also it's contributing to pylon culture which can be dangerous sometimes i think even as brands as well like i think there is that whole thing with we've talked about before like the branter and like i think you have to really careful of that as a team as well from a comms perspective when you're managing those channels like clapping back and calling stuff out can be really positive but it can like you say cause you know that lady in yorkshire tea she'd kind of clap back about something and then a pylon kind of happened and it's a bit like i think you just have that responsibility i think we're brand ambassadors as well and i think you know what the bts stuff was really interesting and it's about like you know it's good for business to be respectful and supportive of your audience and i think they were dismissing an interview as like hysterical fans and they said our fans aren't hysterical they're really loyal to us and like we love them and if it wasn't for them we wouldn't be here and i think brands could you know an organization could take a, a leaf out of their book at times because I think that loyalty has kind of made them so successful because they've kind of kept with them rather than trying to distance themselves. Yeah, but also it's funny because like I've been thinking about this a lot. Rugby culture is really interesting. Like most of the clubs and teams, like their fans and the players are okay with the fans. But there was a time which rugby players especially just before the pandemic like like two years just before the pandemic fans were getting treated like as if they were an inconvenience and a problem and then when the pandemic hit everyone's like we miss the fans we miss the fans and I'm thinking but you've been telling us how much we irritate you how much you hate us you've been writing in all your books how much we get on your nerves and all of a sudden now because we're not there anymore you will miss us and and then now I, I don't know whether it's a PR narrative We'll have to ask our good friend David Pembroke about that. But everyone's talking about how much they're so happy that the fans are back. They're so happy that the fans are back. I'm just thinking, but before the pandemic, you never even wanted to come near us. You were so fed up with us. Do you know what I think was really interesting watching like the England football players and how they've talked about fans since like, you know, obviously losing the final and getting all that abuse is they've not focused on the I would like to say minority but the proportion of crappy fans and the way they behaved they've talked about the ones that have really you know stood up and said they really support the team and acted right and I think that's that you know you're always going to have in a fan base good and bad and a mix of behaviors particularly in sport but I think that goes for everyone so I think they're kind of managing that in a really positive way rather than just being like you know, we don't want to do this anymore. Our fans have behaved like this. I think it's recognising that some fans aren't representative of all fans. And I think you have to look at your fan base when you're a brand or organisation or celebrity or whatever and try and do that and, you know, like reward the positive behaviour because otherwise you would focus everything on like trolls and bad behaviour. So yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Yeah. And I think brands also 
especially like us who do the brand work, the PR work, we do need to think about how we talk to fans, especially on behalf of our clients now. Because there are some things that have like loyal fans. Even if you think about beauty brands, you think about something like Fenty, you know, the fan base of Fenty is ridiculous. And and I'm, I don't say this lightly, but if you say something horrible about Fenty, you need to maybe just take yourself off of social media. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I think people have become really loyal, so you have to be really careful. Don't diss a lip gloss Fenty. It is amazing. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes. We're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you. So DM us on social or get in touch with Harriet at commsovercoffee.com or myself, Rebecca, at threadandfable.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review, subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us. Find us on Twitter at RebeccaRobert7 or at Harriet Smalzy. Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.